football talk like you've never heard before. The pinky finger goes up the nose. Ugh. From the tailgates. A million percent correct. Those are the best fries in the universe. To the touchdowns. He's going for the corner. He's got it. We have everything covered. Place at the table. <laughs> Here's Andy Staples. His squad is in the house. Welcome to the Place at the Table podcast. Today we have one of my favorite guests in the whole world because every summer, pretty much every fan base gets really mad at him because he tells them what's going to happen and they don't want to believe it. Bill Connolly from SB Nation, advanced stats guru, statistical genius. How you doing, Bill? I'm good. And, and to be fair, uh, they sometimes like me and sometimes don't. And it all depends on what I have to say. And it changes from year to year. That's what, that's my favorite part. The stats are great until you disagree with them. Then they just don't tell the whole story. Well, exactly. I mean, they're, they're so wrong. You you stupid nerds had no idea that Nebraska was <laughs> not going to be great. That, but why in the world did you say Nebraska would be 6-6? Six and six? Their fans were so yeah. mad at you over the summer. Turns out yeah, that you That was one of my favorites. Yeah, this guy, this quarterback was very, very mediocre for Tulane, but it's going to be totally different after a buy, after sitting out a year and, and taking in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a totally, he's a totally changed player after that. Also, Mike Riley wasn't about to get fired at Oregon State when they hired him. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> and, and to be fair, Lee was better at Nebraska than he was at Tulane. He just wasn't a whole lot better uh, at Nebraska than he was at Tulane. And and yeah, those are the things because we all, I mean, we all do that. We are fans and we, you know, figure out what it's going to take for us to have a good team. And then we just believe it's going to happen. We try to will it to to happen, especially if we're Nebraska fans. Uh, and it just doesn't usually work that way. They willed Scott Frost to town though. So they've got that going for them. Exactly. It all worked out in the end. So what I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, kind of break down, breaking down these these playoff games and all other bowl games by the numbers. Because uh, one thing I thought was interesting is is you looked at all the bowl matchups using your S and P plus stat, <clears throat> and really it it seems like they did a very good job matching up teams this bowl season in terms of getting good exciting matchups. Yeah, um, there weren't a whole lot of, you know, we've got FAU Akron, which is going to be unfortunate, but um, for the most part, I mean, yeah, the Oklahoma and Georgia are very close. Alabama and Clemson are very close. Penn State and Washington are very close. Uh, they did a nice job overall, about as good as you could hope for. And and when, you know, I laid all the projections out there using S&P Plus, it was really only a few games that were projected by more than a touchdown or so. How, how reliable has S&P Plus been through the years? Um, typically if you're looking at against the spread, it's going to be, uh, around basically what it ended up uh, about 52% this year, which isn't amazing. Uh, you know, but, but it's like also not really intended. Gambler. I mean, yeah, you can break even, uh, you know, doing that, but it's not intended to be amazing because it's not taking injuries into account. This is just basically the baseline for, uh, you know, you look at the baseline, you look at the S&P Plus projection, and then you figure out from there, okay, the quarterback's hurt or this and that, and you kind of make the adjustments The adjustments from there. It's really hard to – I would love to make injury adjustments and all these other things. There are 130 teams in FBS, so I yeah. intentionally keep it compl- just bare bones. Like, here's here's how the team has performed this year. Uh, you know, adjust accordingly from there. Well, one, one thing I was wondering is I know this, the playoff committee gets a lot of different exa- advanced statistics as well to look at. And I think the 
the choice of Alabama over Ohio State, there may have been some of that influence in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the advanced stats loved both those teams this year. Yes. And why yes. was that? Well, I think, you know, the way I like to put it with my own system is that it rewards dominance. Um, it's, it's trying to figure out what your ceiling is, what your floor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Ohio State and Alabama probably gave the two most sustained examples of ceiling. Uh, you know, Alabama, even though they weren't as good as they had been in previous years, they were more consistently excellent than pretty much anybody in college football. Clemson did its Clemson thing for the second straight year. They basically, you know, done as little as humanly possible until they can't do that anymore and then had to flip it into fifth gear and go from there. Um, and numbers aren't going to like that very much. Uh, you know, they yeah, really I, I, there's a switch. I'm convinced in their in their football complex, either under the <sighs> slide or in the nap room. And Dabo Sweeney just flips it at one point, and then they start destroying everyone. <laughs> right. I mean, I, you're not going to hear me disagree. Like, they really did – most of the first half or two-thirds of the season, it was basically, okay, we're up 10. We're just going to – we're going to throw it in the cruise until you prove you can come back. And when they do, you know, once they've expended some energy, then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try again. That was the way it was against Auburn and Virginia Tech and Wake Forest, and then they lost to Syracuse, of course. Um, but it's, it's a really low margin for error kind of thing. And that's worked great for them because they have the the raw talent to be able to turn it on. And sure enough, like what, since barely getting by NC State, they kind of, you know, dilly-dallied with Florida State a little bit. But basically since about the fourth Florida, Florida fourth quarter of Florida State, uh, they've just laid the hammer down. So of all these bowl matchups that you've looked at, what's your favorite one? What's the one you think is these are the best matched teams for the most fun I- game? Outside of the playoff, and I, I really do like both playoff matchups because if you just think about it for 10 minutes, you're going to change your mind like three times as yes, to what you think will happen. Outside of that, um, I love, I, I mean, I love the, the USC Ohio State, the nostalgia bowl, the Jersey Bowl. Um, <laughs> as I, I liked that, who was it? Reese Davis uh, made a point of making sure Ohio State knows, you know, wear your jerseys, don't wear anything weird. Let's just yeah. absorb having Ohio State and USC in the, on the same field at the same time. It's going to be great. Um, but beyond that one, I love Penn State, Washington. I think that's been Penn State was so close. Penn State was so close. They were one of the few teams in the country that really didn't have a bad game. They lost two games on the road to good teams by four points. Yeah. Um, even with Saquon kind of, you know, hitting some some slumps and the offensive line still struggling here and there, uh, that that was just such a nice machine that they had going. And we'll see. I mean, obviously now with Moorhead's departure, we'll see what happens uh, in the bowl game. But Penn State Washington is going to be an excellent game if you just like quality. Um, and and you know beyond that, you know, I'm kind of curious. You know, there then there are, I guess the feel good stories. UAB Ohio. Um, you know, zombie UAB getting to play in a bowl game their first year back. New Mexico State playing in the first bowl game in, in wait, almost wait. six decades. U- UAB not just getting to play in a bowl game the first year back. They get to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah. And play in a bowl yeah. Game tough the life. First year back. Yeah. And I, and I like They've it. Earned it. <laughs> I like that it's going to cost the school more money, too. They deserve that, too. Um, yeah. But <laughs> try to kill our program. Now you got to send us to the Bahamas. <laughs> if there was Suckers. a China Bowl, send them into the China Bowl just to make them pay for it. <laughs> But um, no, the feel good stories like that. I'm always a sucker for that. And New Mexico State. Um, I, I, one underrated bowl that I, I wanted to point out. Um, a lot of these, uh, my favorite bowls are on December 27th for some reason. But Arizona for Purdue is going to be so much fun. Oh yeah. You got you've got Jeff Brom, who's about as good a tactician as you're going to find, uh, and you've got you know Khalil Tate just running around, and that's going to be that's going to be wonderful. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm just excited about a lot of these. I, you know, I was, I was disappointed in in Oregon, Boise State. I thought that mm-hmm. would wind up being more fun because it's it's weird. You know, the the trick with bowl games is figuring out, and this is something obviously S and P Plus also can't do. Figure yeah. out who cares. Right. And yeah, the one team outside the playoff that I figured would actually care was Oregon. Because they just had this, you know, player petition to get Mario Cristobal hired as the permanent head coach. And uh, so, of course, they should care. And then they just lay the biggest egg in the first half you've ever seen. (laughs) They just they cannot ever, no matter what the year, decade, whatever, they cannot run the ball on Boise State, apparently. And uh, that was problematic. And no, and that's, you know, I, I, I. my topic for this morning's column was basically like that since Boise state laid that huge egg against Virginia, they've been phenomenal. They've been mostly awesome the rest of the year uh, and that they dominated Oregon and Justin Herbert, when Justin Herbert was healthy, Oregon was really solid football team this year. No, nobody Uh, stopped that offense when Justin Herbert was playing. And so, yeah, I mean, some combination of Boise being awesome and Oregon just, you know, basically getting the coach they wanted and then spending the last week patting themselves on the back and forgetting, forgetting to prepare for the bowl game. Um, you know, that some combination of that made that a lot more lopsided than, than we expected. Even the Boise state handed Oregon 14 points at the end of the first half, just to kind of keep it close for a little while. Yeah. Well, at least least they made it interesting for the rest of us. I do appreciate though, the, the Boise state, uh, early touchdown where the, they had the Gladys Knight, uh, or excuse (laughs) me, the pips spin with their four receivers in the diamond formation. Uh, I think teams should be required to do that from now on. I, I, I love the coaches that openly acknowledge that, hey, this is a bowl game. Let's have fun. Um, this is not – I mean, we want to win, but let's have a little fun and, and reward ourselves for being pretty good this year, and that's exactly what Boise State did. Well, I, I, actually, I was going to ask you about – so the the other thing that I really enjoyed last night is there was someone on Arkansas State sideline in the Camellia Bowl in an ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> – there's going to be a coaching staff who shows up to the Hawaii Bowl all wearing ugly Christmas sweaters or something like that. That's what, that's what we need. We need we need more coaching staffs realizing, hey, listen, we're in a, a December 23rd or December 24th yep. Bowl. We're on ESPN by ourselves. This is our one chance for everybody to see us. Let's have some fun with this. Yeah, we, it's funny with bowls. I mean, that's really all we want. Like we've, we've for a number, a number of years tried to figure out like what, what do people want to click on when it comes to bowl games and, and what, you know, I, I used to write these immense previews that would get, you know, 18 clicks. Cause nobody, <laughs> I mean, outside of, outside of the, the, the Troy North teams, Texas preview doesn't get a lot of clicks. No, and I didn't even do them this year um, because it just uh, yeah that's not what people care about with these bowls. They just want something to remember the bowl by, uh, and and if it comes down to the way coaches dress or receivers doing pirouettes for no uh, real reason whatsoever. Although I like that they brought it back in the second half and pirouetted into a shift just to show <laughs> you know we, we've got we we got range yeah. <laughs> But we remember that, and we remember the spectacular failure that was the Statue of Liberty play at the end of the first half uh, for Boise State as well. So listen, um, they got they got one of those when it counted. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. don't, yeah, just don't do it outside Arizona. I think is apparently the rule. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was the uh, still my favorite play that I've ever seen in perp- in person, <laughs> and the the American Dream wrapped up in one football play. So yep. <laughs> no, once it, once I, you've hit that once, it's okay. You, you you've cashed your chips. Probably should never run the Statue of Liberty again. 
No, I, I did a big uh, Boise State feature uh, over the summer, like a little oral history type piece for uh, like how they how they became good. Um, and I asked Brian Harson like for the, when they went back in 2014 uh, for, to play Arizona, like how how long did it take you to put the Statue of Liberty play back in there into that game plan? And he was before I could even answer the or ask the question fully, he was like, "Oh, first play. That was the first play we wanted to put in there." Um, <laughs> And it worked then too because Jay Ajayi was amazing. Uh, yeah, apparently the third time is 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 a is is a little too much on that one. Yeah, it's okay. I, I admire the pluck. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, any anything that that makes it look like they're singing "Midnight Train to Georgia" while playing football <laughs> makes me happy. So and they won. Exactly. Exactly. So I I want to talk about these these playoffs ma- matchups a little bit because you you mentioned. Either game, you can talk yourself in or out of either team multiple times in a 10-minute span. So let's start with the Rose Bowl with with Oklahoma and Georgia. And what is it about Oklahoma that that makes them different from the teams that have come out of the Big 12 of recent vintage? I, I mean, the the really simple and lazy and accurate answer is Baker Mayfield. Um, I'm just not sure I've ever seen a quarterback with um, with processing speed faster yeah. than him. Uh, that's the best. I mean, just watch him. A number of places his eyes go. Then and the, the when he looks when he finds what he's looking for, the quickness with which he then acts on that. It's it's crazy to watch and. That's what gives OU a shot at the national title. They have by far the worst defense uh, of any of the four teams in this playoff. And, and, and I mean, I say that acknowledging that they did improve down the stretch again. They were good early in the year. They were really, And also really... they handled Ohio State. That, yes. That's the part I can't cut. Because I feel like if it's the Oklahoma defense we saw for most of the season, that Georgia's just going to run all over them, and yeah. Jake Fromm's not really going to have a problem throwing on them either. Yeah, but. Yeah. What happens if the one that came to Columbus shows up? Right. I mean, that's that's a different story. 37 points. They allowed 37 points in three non-conference games. uh, And then they got obliterated almost 40 points a game for about, what, the first uh, six or seven games of non-conference play. Six, I guess. But then 20 points to TCU, uh, you know, three points to Kansas, which, you know, whatever. But then uh, they didn't give up any points hardly to West Virginia until the game was way way out of hand. And then 17 points against TCU again. Like the the last month, they were actually good again defensively. So uh, you still don't know if they can handle that run game. That is just the five-head running back situation that Georgia brings to the table. Um, I mean, Jake Fromm's only thrown 230 passes this year. He's basically played the entire year, played 13 games, and even thrown 20 times a game because he just hasn't had to. Um, yeah, the Big 12, so, he would have knocked that out in five games. Exactly. Uh, let's see, how many how many has Mayfield thrown? Uh, a good, well, only 369. That's that's actually not as many as I would have well, expected. The, but and, and that's another difference for Oklahoma, though, is that offensive line. They yeah. can salt away a win on the ground. And that's yeah. something that, that most Big 12 teams won't do. They'll just keep throwing. But Oklahoma's O-line is so good. You know, you saw it against Ohio State. You saw it against TCU. They, they will run on you until you're done. And Yeah, their, now, their ability uh, to put a game away. Like that Texas Tech game was hilarious. They, you know, Tech failed. Uh, you know, they were probably going to lose no matter what. But they failed at the goal line with like I don't, 10 minutes left, 10 or 11 minutes left. They didn't get the ball back. Uh, Oklahoma State the next week until Mayfield got a little fancy and threw a pick in the end zone. It was it was going to be the same story. Uh, they just you know, and then, time to well, put the game away. And then Rodney away. Anderson did put that game away with a right. long run. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they just, when they have to, to go into, uh, you know, salt the game away in the fourth quarter mode, that you cannot get the ball back away from them because they'll run it twice for about seven yards and then Mayfield will get the other three one way or the other and then that's they'll do right. it all over again. That's the, the only thing I worry about is not them not being able to get those seven yards on the first two downs against right. Georgia. Yeah. And and yeah. that that could be a problem because Georgia's been hard to hard to like even Notre Dame, which ran on almost everyone, didn't really yeah. run very well on Miami, but but ran well on almost everyone could not run against Georgia at all. So no. that's that's the part I, I that that concerns me with Oklahoma. But I I picked Georgia, but it's it's a low confidence pick. <clears throat> Right. Yeah. What is it? My numbers say 55% for Georgia. That seems about right. I might even go 60%, but it's, it's almost a, a straight toss up. Now Vegas likes Alabama in the, in the sugar bowl. Mm. I, I don't, I, I, even though this is not obviously the, the same Clemson team as last year, this sure as heck in the same Alabama team as last right. year either. Right. That was one thing um, that I kept trying to point out down the stretch uh, when I was getting yelled at when I released the S&P Plus rankings on Sunday. Um, like, how can you have Ohio State number one? Well, last year, Ohio, this exactly this this rating of plus 21 points or whatever it was that Ohio State was having down the stretch, it would have been like seventh last year uh, at, the, at the same time. And Alabama was the same way. They would have been about seventh or eighth last year. This team would have been. It's just that nobody else was any better. So somebody had to be ranked number one. Uh, but Clemson... I mean, what I was just saying about the Oklahoma defense applies to the entire Clemson team. Like we were saying, down the stretch, once it was time to 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 put it into into fifth gear, uh, they did. And and meanwhile, Alabama, you know, suddenly they didn't have any li- uh, linebackers left. Uh, it seems like they'll be a little bit healthier uh, at, at linebacker. Not, I guess Hamilton's definitely out, right? Ha- Hamilton's done. But the the, the, the interesting rest. thing with Alabama to me is Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller will be back. And they were, yeah. they were back in a limited fashion against Auburn, but not really. And these guys went out the first game of the year, and they mm. were the ones who were supposed to provide the pass rush. Right. And so they went and, their entire year without the replacements for Tim Williams <laughs> and Ryan Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you get to a stage, uh, both linebacker, where suddenly you have Alabama linebackers, and then uh, offensive line, where, where um, uh, you know they were juggling a little bit down the stretch, like if you have a, a almost full-strength Alabama team, then that isn't the team that lost to Auburn anymore. That isn't the team that, that really messed around and thought about losing to Mississippi State. So that team could beat Clemson, um, but it is kind of a mystery. You, you, at this point, we think we know what Clemson team is going to show up. We're, not, we're still not real sure about Alabama. Yeah, the thing with Alabama that, that shocked me in the Auburn game, which was not something I expected, is until that game, there had not been a situation where Jalen Hurts was contained. Yeah. Even if he had a bad throwing game, he would have situations where he got loose and ran for 20 yards. Or I mean, the, the last drive of the national title game last year is a prime example. He right. was having a terrible game throwing the ball, but when they absolutely needed him to, he broke loose and, and ran for a long touchdown. And Auburn wouldn't let him do that. Mm-mm. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, ironic in one way or another that uh, the, the Lane Kiffin replacement kind of forgot about his running backs for a little while. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the offensive line got overpowered uh, down the stretch. So I'm not completely sure that that handing to Damian Harris more. I don't think they forgot about the running backs. It's a read option situation. So yeah. that's it's yeah, Jalen Hurts looking at it and going, if I hand this guy the ball, he's going to get one yard or zero yards. Right. So I'm going to keep it. But <laughs> yeah, that's weird. It's that that's that's one of the problems too. Is it's hard to 
it's hard to judge play calling anymore since every play has about three potential. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I was talking on it. I was talking to an offensive coordinator about exactly that a couple months ago. I, and I was saying, you know, this is hard. Can you send me the play calls so that I know when we're, when we're saying, you know, they're, they're running too much. Like, well, technically, yes, but uh, that's not necessarily the quarterback what quarterback chose not to throw, right. even though that was a choice on that play. Yeah, it's yeah, tricky. That, that is the problem when you have an RPO that is, I'm going to throw this bubble screen or I'm going to hand it to the back or I'm going to keep it myself. <laughs> well, what did they really call? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so. that was um, – but, the, but yeah, the running game, however it was intended to go, um, after that first drive of the second half just oh, the didn't second half, exactly. Happen. It wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. So And that that's strange to see and, and a little discouraging <laughs> as they go into a game with probably the best defensive line in America playing against them. Yeah. Um, yeah. For any any critiques I can offer about Clemson at this point, it's, you know, maybe they, you know, the glitches in the past defense are still there. Maybe you can get the ball downfield against them. But really, that's about it. At this point, they've they've rounded into form very, very nicely. But they haven't given up more than 14 points since NC State, I think, um, which was, you know, early, early November. Uh, so yeah, they're 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 going to be really really tough. I I always pick Alabama because I'm almost always right to do so, but that, I'm not real confident about that pick right now. This is my first time not picking them in a while. I had <laughs> them in the national championship game last year, had them winning 31-28, and that was oh. indeed the score until the ball <laughs> went into Hunter Renfro's hands at the end. Yeah. So that that was that was one of those where I just but you knew as soon as Deshaun Watson stepped back out on the field, yeah, what was going to happen. Yeah, no, that was um, one of those cases where, I mean, that was the, the play hurts made to score and all that. That was great. And then you look at the clock and you're like, ah, Alabama looked pretty gassed about two minutes ago. And yeah, they, they did not have it anymore. So you you also host your own podcast called Pod, <laughs> Podcast Ain't Played Nobody with, uh, with Stephen Godfrey from SB <laughs> yes. Nation. Uh, you guys do get very granular about games, but also answer a lot of a lot of reader mail. What's your favorite question that you've answered this season? Oh man. Um, well, it's funny because you know, you know, Godfrey and I come from different uh, backgrounds, both in terms of where we grew up and then just how we came to be writing about football. And so, one of the things that I think works really well about this show is I bring my little fan base in, uh, and, and which will write. You know, we just we answered uh, uh, last week. We answered. I, it was like a two thousand word email on uh, Michigan State. Um, and I will answer it. Like I will read the whole email and it drives Godfrey crazy, which is kind of why I do it. Um, but you know, then he'll get more of the, the questions about NCAA and, and, and investigations and the more investigative side of things. Steven, why is Ole Miss innocent? Right. Uh, I love, by the way, make sure if you ever get the chance, call, call him an old Miss Homer. He loves that. Um, oh, it's, it's his favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> but then we'll get like, I, I love it because we'll get these big, long things about realignment, kind of the areas where our, our areas of expertise start to mash together a little bit. Lots of stuff on realignment and the future of, well, anything in, to do with money, future of television, future of, of the group of five. Uh, so those are the questions I think that are that are are, are best for our show because we both have we come uh, we both have an answer. First of all, it's not simply about stats or Ole Miss or whatever. Uh, but we we you know I'm I'm looking through the recent questions. I got I have one with a subject line that says justice for Buffalo, um, and that makes wow. me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about in a bowl if I if I'm if I if I'm gonna gather that right off hand. Pretty but, sure, uh, yeah. Love it. So how how did you come to be writing about football? 
<laughs> um, well, in 2007, I decided to start a Missouri blog because I live in Columbia. Um, and uh, we started it and, and basketball team kind of stunk and I was looking for content, content to, to, to work through the summer. Um, and I really always, I, I loved baseball stats and I loved football, but you know, I was really curious, like, well, what kind of football stats can I talk about? And so I Googled it, um, almost nothing, you know, came up, uh, when I, when I tried to, you know, college football advanced stats or whatever I was searching for. So I just started trying to piece some stuff together. And, um, that meant looking at the football outsiders, the pro stuff that they had been doing, like success rate and some of that stuff. And, and then I just started trying to apply all the things I liked about baseball or basketball stats to it and that's that was how it started like it was it was a rock m nation specific thing for a year and then i caught on with football outsiders myself and then um you know i got some really good feedback from the the you know from the people at football outsiders uh and then by 2011 i was doing it full-time for sb nation so it really what, did what were you doing I, for a living when you when you started this <laughs> Uh, I was basically, and this is this has come in handy uh, to a hilarious degree. I was working for the University of Missouri Med School. I was basically serving as the translator between programmers and doctors to work on, um, you know, pr- to, to 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 help them with certain things. I was a data person and whatnot. Um, Wait, did, did you did you take the specs from the engineers to the customers? Basically, um, and and now I get to basically use that skill set that I developed to translate numbers for coaches, and it, and it's worked pretty well. So I wanted to ask you about this because I get, you know, I like to find meaningful statistics that people can understand. Mm -hmm. And because I feel like, especially in the age of tempo, the old statistics are completely useless. (laughs) I I had somebody arguing with me earlier this season about total defense. They were trying to make a point about some team using total defense. And I was like, what year are we in? Total defense does not explain anything anymore. So, yeah. What, what, what works for you? Like what, what, when you break down a box score, well, it's mm-hmm. not in the box score. We'll, we'll get to what should be in the box score later. But <laughs> when you break down a game, what are the, st- the statistics you are looking at first? If, you know, it, it'll take me till like Sunday to have all of my stuff all cranked through and everything. So when I'm first looking at, you know, like I, I, when I see a result that I didn't get, it didn't get to watch and I'm kind of curious, like what the heck happened there? Um, I'll, you know, the, I'll look at, the the total yardage is informative more it's not really um it's interesting more than it's useful but it'll you look at the total plays and the total yards and of course yards per play that'll that'll get you part of the way there because that'll tell you you know who was moving the ball more consistently it'll probably at least uh, and it'll tell you who had the ball the most you know time of possession we always talk make such a big deal of time of possession really just look at the snap count that will tell you what you think you're getting from from time of possession right. um and, because, and if they, because a team that, that scores in a touchdown every two minutes right. might have a low time of possession, but will still run a lot of plays. Right. Um, and, and I guarantee, like, if, if the snap count, if it's something like, you know, 90-something plays to 60-something, that had a much greater effect than if you see a game where the t- one team had, like, 34 minutes' time of possession. We want to make something of that. But really, that's, that's something, by the way, that I've always – we always hear like a, a Wisconsin type team, they'll just wear you down, but they're only snapping the ball like 65 times. So, and you know, y- yes, they're, they're trying to run They're trying to play physically and whatnot. Um, but they're also giving you 30 seconds or more of, of rest between each play. Um, so I, I really, 20 seconds makes a huge difference. 
Right, I would think so. Yes, and I, I mean, I've never tried to play. I've never played defensive line against the Wisconsin offense, so I can't say this with expertise. But I'm betting that you would, if you if your options are 65 plays against Wisconsin or 98 plays against, uh, you know, you know, insert team here, whoever uh, the Baylor of a few years ago or whoever, you'd probably choose Wisconsin there. Um, just in terms of exhaustion, but you, maybe the answer kind of depends on whether you're a defensive back or a defensive lineman too. Exactly. Well, I, defensive lineman, though, this is what you do. You get hit, you sprint, you start over. You get hit, you sprint, you start over. If you have to start over every 15 seconds instead of every mm-hmm. 45 seconds, it's very hard when you weigh 300 pounds. And you can't sub as well, obviously. Yeah. Right. Um, no, I think that's, you know, we, the way we kind of looked at the game for a long time in that regard is is – I think I think people are we're, we're catching on. We're a lot more further ahead in that regard than we were, you know, in, in 2011 or something. But that is a big thing. I, uh, you know, the art total snaps, total yards, yards per play. That'll tell you a lot. And then if you haven't quite figured it out yet, obviously look at turnovers um, and and look at then you can start to to kind of get more granular. Look at third down conversions and whatnot. Uh, Point, part of it is points you know per drive is, seems pretty good. Which dr- it, yes, the yes. basketball guys love points per possession. Yes, and it seems like points and, per drive is a, is a good offensive and defensive stat in football yeah, too. That's actually the single most. Uh, um, directly tied to wins and losses as points per drive, which of course, I mean, that's, you know, most of the time, you know, it makes sense of, you know, most of the time you're going to have the same number of possessions, maybe one more one way or the other. Um, so obviously you just take the total points and divide by, but it, it does kind of break things down a little bit. Um, and, and it adjusts for tempo in a pretty interesting way. Um, and then, you know, if I still haven't quite figured it out, then I'm looking at those, the, those drive stats and figuring out like who blew chances here, like how many, you know, who, who missed a couple field goals in the red zone, who, who got to the red zone and scored touchdowns every time that makes an enormous difference uh, that you might not necessarily get from just looking at total yards. So if you could fix the box score, yes. How would you how would you arrange it? Well, I've always, you know, I would love to get one one uh, semi advanced stat in there, and that would be success rate. Just because um, I think it's easy to understand, it's intuitive for people. It basically, you know, based on down and distance, it, it derives, you know, get this many yards, and it's a success. Every coach does it, um, even if they have different definitions. But uh, leaving the advanced stats aside, I think one of the things that would be amazing for a, a general box score that doesn't seem like it would be hard uh, would be either average yards to go on third down or average yards gained on first down. Cause that basically tells you what you think third down. Ooh, that'd be nice. Uh, you know, and, and I know it like in that stat broadcast, if you're, if you know, you're pulling up the live stats during the game, they have a lot of that in there, but it doesn't make like the, at the post game. And that'll no. tell, that tells you a lot. And then the other thing, um, you know, however we want to define it, I, I like, um, I, I define scoring opportunities as first downs inside the opponent's 40 instead of the 20, just because there's a little more, differentiation between good and bad if you if you get, go back to the 40 but um however we want to define it having some sort of points per trip points per trip inside the 40 inside the 20 whatever we want to do that little extra piece tells us a lot too because there will be certain times where two teams both generate say you know six scoring chances in a given game but team a still wins like 42 to 21 and it looks like a blowout when really it was just that one time one team could close and one couldn't you know what i'd also love Average drive start. Yes, field position is a very good one. That is a very, very important. Um, 
because I mean, and it'll blend in. Part of that is going to be because of turnovers, the the field position. Part of that's going to be because of, of special teams, and part of it's just going to be because of who was able to get a couple of first downs before punting. I think it's, I think like three and outs is enormous in that regard because uh, even if you're punting a lot, if you're just getting down the field a little bit, you're flipping the field and, and everything's good. But no, that's you know as I you know my five factors: efficiency and explosiveness, but field position and finishing drives are are three and four, and then turnovers. Uh, that'll pretty much tell you everything you need to know about a game. Yeah, as I say, I, I heard when I was a Florida beat writer, I heard Urban Meyer go through the the plan to win enough times. Uh, to know and, and that was all the same basically all the same stuff they it's right. funny because every coach has a different way of ordering everything but it it really winds up being the same things and, take care and of what's ball, funny good field position that's pretty right. much it I, yeah and one thing i've tried to do especially this last year or so i've tried to talk to more coaches and and and, and get further down the road because yeah it's one thing to basically look at a stat a box score after the game and say here see here's what we lost but what do you do about it um, and what's funny is I, I talked about success rate. That efficiency thing pretty much drives everything. Uh, if you're getting a couple first downs before you punt, then you're probably winning the field position battle. Um, if you are, uh, if you're avoiding like third and long better than your opponent, odds are pretty decent you're winning the turnover battle because you're putting yourself in in less obvious you know risk situations. Uh, if you are making big plays, more big plays, chances are it's because you were on the field to make those big plays. Therefore, you weren't going three and out and you were you were winning the efficient. Everything always comes back to efficiency. Um, and uh, that's been, if you're looking at like prescriptive kind of stuff, that's really what it boils down to. Clemson has been the most efficient team in the country basically the last two years. And that's why they are where they are, even though they don't make a lot of big plays on offense, even though they dilly-dally. Um, they are so efficient, especially when they need to be. And that's why they've been so good. So do you think Clemson can repeat as the national champion, or do you think the I, ultra-efficient Alabama Crimson Tide, who they have to play, um, triple I, up? I, I, I know like I will favor whoever wins that game by a touchdown, I think. Um, but I feel much more confident in Clemson now than I did in like mid-October. I thought they were, you know, not only, you know, they had the quarterback injury, obviously, when they lost to Syracuse, but they really were messing around uh, to a degree that that, uh, almost worse than they did last year. Uh, And I figured, you know, eventually they're going to do that. They're not going to have Deshaun Watson anymore. They're in serious trouble here. But they did uh, click to a higher degree down the stretch, just enough to make me a little more confident. So, yeah, I I think they absolutely – if they beat Alabama, they can absolutely beat either Oklahoma or Georgia in the finals. One of my favorite things in the offseason, by the way, are your your individual team previews. And you do one for Mm -hmm. every team in the FBS. When do you actually start working on this? in January, I basically, that's when I'll kind of, every post has a template. That's how, you know, all the data comes about. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be possible. But basically, I'll update the template and, and you know, for the, all the new data and whatever else I want to add to it in January. And then there are 130 teams or 129. No, no, still 130 because we'll lose Idaho, but add Liberty. There are. Buckshot yeah. Calvert, baby. Uh, um, FBS. FBS play play New Mexico State twice a year, but it's still FBS. Um, I so basically what I try to do is start the Monday after signing day. Uh, this was my little this was my little gambit for turning uh, turning this into a full time job, and it worked. It's a pretty pretty good idea. Of course, <laughs> now signing day is this week. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, the, now you you'll still probably do it after the the February signing day. But, yes, February uh, signing, not next week. Are you as excited? 
as me to find out what the hell happens with this early signing period because there's so many unknowns it feels like right now. I don't know how this week's going to go. Yeah, I feel like just you know our our, our recruiting uh, our recruiting analyst Bud Elliott, uh, chief recruiting at SB Nation, he's uh, got me convinced that this is going. This is. There's less uncertainty now than there was like you know eight months ago. Basically, they're gonna every co- every team in the country is trying to treat this as signing day, and and you know if you don't sign, you're not committed, uh, and really just try to lock that down almost all of the class. Um, and so maybe that's what happens. But it is funny we were talking about Oregon and and all that the, the egg they laid. For all we know, they didn't prepare for the game because Cristobal was too busy trying to lock down the recruiting class that he was going to have to sign. Critically important. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, it's more important than a Las Vegas bowl. And um, so if they kind of, you know, cut some corners here and there in game prep, it backfired on them, but I don't think they're going to mind too much if they sign a good class. So yeah, it is crazy to think about how, how wild these last couple weeks have been for a lot of coaches out there trying to prep for a bowl game and hire or fire assistant coaches. And then also go ahead and sign your entire recruiting class. That's, I don't think this is, I, I, you know, I know Nick Saban and, and others have railed against it. I think we're seeing why. There are a lot of stressed coaches at the moment. Oh, absolutely. I think, but the thing is, they'll be less stressed after Christmas, I think. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. If you're, if you're Kirby Smart and Justin Fields signs with you this week and you get most of the guys you had committed, you're like, ah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, you don't Rose have to travel. Prep. I'm good. Yeah. You don't have to travel nearly as much after the AFCA convention. So people will like that, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. There are going to be a lot of hurt feelings, I feel like, because. <laughs> There, there are going to be players who, who don't sign, who were committed, and the coaches will say, well, then you're not really committed. And the players will say, okay, guess I'm going somewhere else. And then you'll have the, the, the players who are committed and who think that they are, you know, a member in good standing of the class. Right. And they don't get an NLI package sent to them and they have nothing to sign. And they're like, wait a second, I thought I had an offer. Yeah. And it's coach's like, no, 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 wait till February. You'll have one then. Yeah, it it really does kind of magnify like the 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 worst parts of recruiting, <laughs> the hurt the hurt feelings part. It does kind of maybe magnify those since we already know, you know, in February we would always see a lot of assistant coaches change right after signing day and all that. It's one of the grosser things about all of this. Um, now we'll see even more because there are more to you know there are still changes that need to be made. Period. Plus, then you've got the tenth assistant getting hired in January. In it's January, gonna be that's going to be a zoo a mess. It's going to be an absolute zoo because there are. You're right. There, there's so many different changes coming, and those tenth assistants, they're not all sitting there as analysts on their current staff. Right. <laughs> there, um, there will be changes made. And I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to see. I'm most curious about that as I am the, the national letters of intent and all that, just um, because I don't, I, just, uh, you know, the the analytic brain in me, I'm, I'm curious to see what people do. Do they, uh, are they doubling down on the offensive line? Are they, uh, you know, how are they spending this extra little uh, position they have? I'm, I'm not real sure what to expect, really. I, I think you'll see very targeted recruiting between <clears throat> the end of December and February because, as, as uh, Matt Dudick, who works at Michigan, the, the director of recruiting there, when he was at Arizona, he called this cards on the table day, basically. <laughs> so every everybody has to show their cards. And by then, you will know what you have and what you need. You will know what everybody else has and, and what they need <laughs> and who's available. So for yeah. an analytical guy like you, you should be able to pinpoint pretty much how it, how it works the rest of the way <laughs> right i mean you'll you'll know you know by position what everybody needs and, and then you'll know by position who's left on the board and who's been recruited by these schools so it, it, 
you know, logically it should make sense after that. I think. And like the Justin Fields of the world. I mean, not to say he won't sign, but the the people who the, the remaining four stars, um, the full court press on those guys, uh, the ones who don't sign, that that is going to be impressive too because. Um, I, I'm just not real sure how many there will be, um, and you know how many uh, how many diamond in the rough types there are going to be around. You know that's always you know I, I am a Missouri fan. I'm used that's, to basically. That's the other question is, okay, if you're Missouri and you're used to to kind of mining the group of five a little bit mm-hmm. close to signing day, what happens if those players sign with the the schools right. that they were being recruited by? Right, like Missouri's mining the Boise states. Meanwhile, Ohio State's mining the Missouris, and um, it, it doesn't give you that extra little opportunity there to uh, to see who's left. I guess you know if the recruits are are brave enough to stick it out, maybe it pays off. But I don't think they're going to be because they don't know that an offer's coming. Right, um, there's there, there would be some dice rolling with it. The, the only way you roll the dice is if you have super leverage, like you have twenty offers from very similar schools, or you just are very confident in who you are. Right. I mean, if you're you're very overconfident in who you are, you're screwed. (laughs) Yeah. If you're so confident that you're, if you're willing to basically end up maybe playing for South Alabama, um, you know, and, and risking like a, an offer from maybe not in Alabama, but uh, you know, somebody relatively far up the P five, right? Like you're, it's a risk. It's going to be a massive risk. And, um, I'm just really curious to see how many kids actually take that risk and how many are like, you know what? I do kind of like this school. I'm just going to go ahead and sign. Well, yeah, it's, it is going to be interesting on both sides of that equation. Cause I remember, uh, Brett Bielema talking about this at the sec spring meetings in Destin, assuming he would have a job this time, this year uh <laughs> and his thought was hey those kids that i've been on who are who are committed to schools that are, are considered quote unquote better uh when when those kids don't get their letter of intent package that they think they're getting from an auburn or from mm-hmm. you know an alabama or an lsu i'm gonna swoop in <laughs> and be like hey listen who loves you baby we sent you a letter of intent you signed that today you got a scholarship right now yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, no, I just because one thing I do think I know here is that however this plays out the first time, that's just going to be kind of the assumed way. Um, it's like you know the blue chippers who don't really even need to sign a letter of intent at all. The Roquan Smiths, there are well, there are very few Roquan Smiths. Most of them just sign. And, and, and if Roquan done. Smith doesn't get lied to by UCLA, he signs a letter of intent, and, and right, this never happens. But he got a little gun shy after the first time. So he just told Georgia, hey, you got to trust me that I'm coming. And he had enough other offers that they were like, okay. But most, uh, even the five stars, most of them, like, they don't have to play. They they could play the game. They could keep playing the game if they want because they are that good and people will take them. They still don't. It's just kind of custom uh, that this is the way you do it. I think people kind of forget that for the most part, most players decide on the school they want and that's where they want to go. And they don't want to deal with anything else. And they just want to sign the paper and be done. Right. Um, yeah, because, I mean, you do start to like the coaches that you commit to. Uh, there are some who will treat it like a reservation. And, and every year, th- there are lots of flips and all that. But a lot of them, yeah, they just they like the place they visited. And they like the assistance. And they want to go there. Yeah, it's, it, it is going to be a fascinating week and a fascinating bowl season. Bill Connolly, thank you so much for joining. And if you want to hear more of Bill, subscribe. 
download. <laughs> podcast ain't played nobody. One of the finest named podcasts in the world. And Bill and, and Godfrey do an excellent job. And maybe one day, if I'm lucky enough, they'll have me on. <laughs> yeah, that's that requires planning. We're not real good at that, but we. Uh, but yes, this off season, we uh, will. Well, you learned about my on. planning today when I texted you a few hours ago and said, "Hey, can you come on the podcast?" And by the way, uh, my wife will kick my butt if I don't promote my latest book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. You can probably still get it uh, via Amazon to your home by December 25th if you oh, so choose. Yes, by all I means. Like it. Actually, can you plug your first book too? Because it was yeah, also uh, awesome. Um, Study Hall, College Football at Stats and His Stories. They're both available on Amazon. Um, and uh, for that matter, if you want to hit me up uh, on Twitter, I will send you an autographed copy of at least Study Hall. I'm not sure how many, or I mean, at least 50 best. Sorry, I don't know how many Study Halls I still have in the house. But you can get an autographed copy of 50 best sent to you within a couple days. Uh, just hit me up on, on Twitter with that. Yeah, and that's what, one thing I, I want to point out is that very few people who work from a numbers-driven standpoint are – good storytellers like Bill. If you like Michael Lewis books, then you will like what Bill writes because what Bill is very good at is taking statistics, numbers, and then putting very human faces on them. And it's much easier to understand. For someone like me, I, I'm not a, a, an analytical person by nature. I don't think in mathematical terms and the way you write makes me understand this stuff so much better. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and I'm also antisocial, so I should mention that the 50 best college football teams of all time, not actually about the 50 best at all. It was just the 50 I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> but I guarantee that's a better book than just a countdown. Uh, exactly. Lots more teams involved. I love it. Exactly. Well, thank you, Bill. Everybody get to Amazon and buy those books. And, <laughs> Bill, we will uh, we'll probably hit you up a little later uh, after the playoff, after signing day. Right when you're starting to work on your Sunbelt previews. That's right. Yeah, Georgia State's on the clock. No, not Georgia State. They were too good. Uh, whoever was last place in the Sunbelt's already on the clock here. All right. Bill, appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.